Well, we're continuing on from last week with this current study on self-denial. We continue to worship God, continue to make ourselves available to God, continue to focus on God. Our root scripture is Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, quoting Jesus. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And the glorious revelation of the scripture is this, that each individual in the collective body of Christ must choose to daily take up their cross, take up their share, as Paul told Timothy, take your share. Take ownership of the position in which Christ has called you. I cannot take your share. You cannot take my share. Each person, as they are called by Jesus Christ, must take up the cross of Christ and follow after him. When we come together collectively, as we've often said, I can pray to God by myself, be blessed, feel the presence of God, and move on. I can sing worship and praise to God by myself, be blessed, and move on. I can have meditation and communication with the Holy Spirit by myself, bless God, and move on. The individual facing God <coughs> is not an issue, not a problem. It's the corporate manifestation of God in the body of Christ where the church comes into view. It is getting the individual members to act as a whole, getting the separated pieces to act in a coordinated fashion when we talk about the body of Christ, using the analogy continuously of the human body, saying that there are hands, there are feet, legs, eyes, and whatnot, getting that coordination, the same coordination you have right now in your physical body, if you want to pick up a glass of water, if you want to walk down the street, if you want to open a door, your entire body, millions and millions of signals in your neural system, in your skeletal frame, in your musculature are working together to make that one smooth movement. So if we say the body of Christ, let us worship God together. Let us take up our individual crosses collectively and follow Jesus. Let us decide as a collective body that we will all serve the Lord. We will all worship Him. We will all throw down every pretense, every false thing, and run after Jesus. We will all deny ourselves and follow Christ. Now, if we say that, the only thing left is the manifestation of that. How do I know that my brother or my sister is actually committing themselves to following Jesus? 
How do I know? There is evidence. There is proof. There is an example coming from your life every day. How often is the cross taken up? Daily. So how often should you see the example of the cross being carried daily? It's the same. So we are, are speaking to the body of Christ from within the body of Christ. Those who are called to the preach ministry, or we could say in fivefold ministration, as Jesus left us in Ephesians chapter 4, whether they be an apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, or teacher. Some say that those offices have, have gone away, that many of them have been taken. I'm not trying to get into that argument. That's not my concern at the moment. My concern is that wherever you are called and whatever you are called as, it is to operate from within the body of Christ. There are no external callings to the body. Amen. If you are called, you are called to exist within the body. So if you are a good student of the word, you would have already gone ahead of me and seen. So if I am called to operate in the body of Christ, then this cross that I am carrying, I can only be carrying it from within the body. You cannot be carrying the cross of Christ outside of the body. You can only be carrying the cross assigned to you from within the body. So what does that do? That brings us into like rank and fellowship. So no matter how big or how high your title is, so-called, or how low it is, so-called, you are still operating in your place of assignment from within the body of Christ. You will execute. We took communion today. From within the body. We shared the bread from within the body. We shared the cup from within the body. We had co-labor and co-fellowship with the rest of the body of Christ. When you lifted up your prayers this morning, if you prayed, you were praying from within the body. You were praying from the worldwide, universal, you could even say galactic, acknowledgement of the throne of God, that the angels, the ministering angels, bore witness to the worship. Are you understanding? He's trying to open our, our eyes, to broaden our view, to let us see from earth to heaven and from heaven to earth and heaven in the earth. If I am going to deny myself I must understand myself within the framework of the body of Christ. Mm. This is why self-denial is so important. If you do not recognize the sacrifice of Christ, you cannot recognize the importance of your own self-denial and self-sacrifice Within the body of Christ, they are tied, as it is said, inextricably together. Cannot be separated. Cannot be torn apart. Cannot, you cannot move the sacrifice of Christ away from the denial of self and at work. They are tied together. Why? 
Because self-denial, listen well, comes from Christ. He is our example in all things. And it is his example of self-denial that is the key focus of today's message. That if you can see, and I mean see in the spiritual sense, if you can move yourself out of the way, if you can move your ego out of the way, if you can move your focus on your own things out of the way long enough, you will be able to look at Jesus, see his sacrifice, and see yourself living and walking after him. He said, what? Follow me. Take up the cross. Follow me. Go to the place where I am. Live in the way that I am living. Speak the words that I am speaking. Speak the life that I am speaking. One of the last notes we looked at, if you go to Romans chapter 6, we looked at last week, was this whole concept of dying to self. Dying to the nature that wants to be alive. Understanding that Christ did it. All of the saints who have gone before us, they did it. And guess what, beloved? You also will do it. If you are to be in fellowship with Christ and obedient to God, you also will do it. Romans 6 and 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. That Christ is exhorting us not to put the old man on life support, but to crucify him, to destroy him. What is the old man? The old man is the nature of man without God. The old man is the self-life in the dominant position and the life of Christ put to side. So if you are walking in the old man, you are walking as it's called carnally. What is that? After the lust of the flesh. And whatever the lust of the flesh dictate, I want to eat, I want to sleep, I want to run, I want more excess, I want more stuff, I want more of this. All of the dictates of the flesh, if they are alive in you, then you are dead to God. But if they are dead in you, you are alive to God. You should not be the servant of sin. You should not be a practicing sinner claiming that you are a Christian. You should not be saying, oh, I believe in God. Well, beloved, the devils believe in God. The Bible tells us that the devils believe and they tremble. Why do they tremble? Because they know that God has set a date for them to be cast into the lake of fire forever. They know that. That's why they're trembling. They know that eventually their running around and wrecking havoc will come to an end. And then eternity for them will be torment. So believing in God is not enough. Saying, I believe that there must be an interaction with the God you say you believe in. And he is not alive in you if sin is alive in you. So naturally it stands to bear that sin, self, must die. The old man must be crucified. 
in order for the new man to live unto God. And it is that, and it's not hard. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It is not being pushed to you as some legalistic work. No. It's a matter of choice. What are you choosing? I am choosing to die. Did not Jesus say, you have not taken my life. I have lain it down. Did he not say that? Of course he did. Mm. I lay down my life. Mm. And if I lay it down, I can take it up again. Mm. So you must choose to die. And I don't mean in the natural, because some will be listening in ignorance. And they would say, oh, the preacher was saying we should commit suicide. My God. Mm. No, devil, you're a liar. Mm. We're talking about the death of the carnal man, the death of the old man, the old nature, the Adamic nature has to die. So the nature, the new nature of Christ will live in us as we are open to God and alive to God. A person who is spiritually dead cannot understand even the words I have just spoken. They must be born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, when Nicodemus came to him by night, asking him questions about the kingdom, he said, you must be born again. Nicodemus being a carnal man said, how is that possible? Can I enter a second time into the mother's womb? No! That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. I'm talking about having a born again experience through Jesus Christ being made alive unto God. Amen. And that is the life of Christ that we celebrated when we took the body and took the blood this morning in communion mm. to reconnect us to that covenant process. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is the message that the devils fear. This is the message that they flee away from. This is the word that they do not want proclaimed. Yes. That man can be free by the power of God. Amen. They promise liberty, but they bring chains of sin's enslavement. Yes. And only Jesus Christ breaks the chain Amen. and looses every person who would come to him. Amen. So they don't want the word to be spoken. Yes. And the only one who can speak it is one who is carrying the cross. Denying self, living unto God, dead to sin, alive unto God. This is exactly what the word is saying. Exactly what the word is saying. Let not sin, therefore, in verse 12 of the same chapter 6 of Romans. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Do you see it? It says, let not Beloved, that is a choice. Yes. I refuse anybody telling me I couldn't help it. Oh, it just happened. Liar, liar, liar. Let not sin mm -hmm. therefore reign. Mm -hmm. Whether it's me, whether it's the man down the street, it doesn't matter. You can't compare my life to yours or your life to mine or your life to the person across the road. He's saying to every individual, let not sin, therefore, rule over you. Hey. Don't let it rule over you, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So what are you telling me, Lord? I am telling you that there is lust in sin. Yes. I'm telling you that sin has a desire. What is lust? Lust is an unreachable 
desire to have. Lust reaches after everything, yet it is never satisfied. So the lust that is in sin will never tell you that's enough. The lust that is in sin will never say, okay, we're topped up now. No. That lust that lives in sin will not let you go free. Which is why you cannot let it reign. If you give way to it, it will dominate you. It will control you. It will run you. Men running up and down the street saying, I can't help myself. Every woman I see, I just, I just feel like I need to go and sleep with that person. That's because lust is controlling you. Yes. And if you had the power of Christ in you, you could say no to that lust. Someone says, oh, I'm addicted, I'm addicted, I'm, I'm addicted to gambling, I can't break the addiction. That is because the lust of sin is alive in you. If you give yourself to Christ, he can break that addiction. Yes. And any other addiction, heroin, sex, uh, promiscuity, power, some people are addicted to power. Everywhere they go, they want to be in control. They want to have the power. You are addicted to power, and it is the lust of power that you are craving. It's still sin. Still sin. Give it a name. We name the big ones. I name the small ones. I name all of them. Yes. Some people will have a, a, a desire to always be right. They lust to be right. They want everything that happens, they want to be the one that's right. You are out of order. You're following the lust of the flesh, wanting to dominate your brother, dominate your sister. It is still sin alive in you. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. But they said, no. That topic is always for us to understand. When we now say, Lord, put my house in order, Put my heart in order. Teach me how to deny myself. Be in balance, as we saw earlier. Be in balance as a human being. Know my position with God. Know my position with my fellow man. Understand the horizontal and understand the vertical relationship. Horizontal is among men. How do I go from brother to brother, sister to sister? I must be imbalanced here. I must be imbalanced there. I am not greater than you. I am not lesser than you. You're not greater than I. You're not lesser than I. There must be an understanding. In Christ, he has called me to be your brother. That's who I am. You're not God over me. I'm not God over you. You don't control me. I don't control you. We are called in fellowship one with another. So part of self-denial is having a right understanding of your relationship level with others. Amen, Holy Spirit. That I am not out of balance. Some people are being dominated by the spirit of this world because they are sitting in places where they have given a man all the power. And they look up to that man or that woman as a leader figure. Now hear me well. Please hear me well. We're not saying you should not respect the man or the woman that God has as a leader in your church fellowship. 
because I can hear the voices now mm-hmm. crying out. Oh, he's saying, don't re- I don't have to respect the pastor. No, 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 no. The devil's a liar. You are not to substitute that man for God, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You're not to put that person on a pedestal that they're God and all of your focus is on pleasing that person. And you think if I am serving that man like God, then the God of heaven will bless me. That's a lie. That's why all your money is in their bank account, and they're driving a Maybach, and you're driving a Ford. That's how that happens. When people think that the person is God, and they're out of balance in relationship, they're not humbling themselves and denying themselves unto God, what they're doing is humbling themselves and denying themselves in relation to that human being. And they say, oh, I'm just being a a good soldier, a, a servant. No, you're out of balance. You are actually illegal at this point because you are worshiping the flesh of a man thinking that you are doing God's service. It could be because that man told you that and you believed it. And the Bible tells us that we are perishing, or those who are perishing, are perishing from a lack of knowledge. So if someone doesn't know the word of God, and they're sitting in an audience in a congregation, and the man says to them, or the woman says to them, you should honor me, you should bring unto me your gifts, you should bless me, and if I'm blessed, then you'll get blessed, and some other ridiculous thing like that, they will think, oh, I have got to now serve that person. Not God, but serve that person because that's serving God. And so it's all tangled up. It's all mixed up. People are shaving off pieces of truth and sticking them here, sticking them there. And those who are not digging into the root of the word to read, listen to this this understanding. Reading the Bible in context. Do you know how important that is? And how much it is missing in many places today. Read the scriptures in context. Stop picking things out and building an entire denomination on two or three verses. My God. Because that is exactly how denominationalism was born. I'm going to make the emphasis on the baptism. I'm going to make the emphasis on water. I'm going to make the emphasis on love. And on and on and on and on and on. And all these fragments. But when you bring the context of the word of God together. Read the book in context. Understand what has gone before. What is going on now. What is yet to come. Look at the prophetic messages of the Holy Spirit. In context of what he has already said. Look at the prophetic nowness of God. In context of what he already did. Do you understand? So all of these things are are moving around us. And this opening of the Holy Spirit is to draw our focus back onto Jesus, seeing ourselves in the body of Christ, making this sacrifice. So that first level here, this horizontal, this relationship to all mankind in the body of Christ, I must understand how I am to deal with you. You are the called of God. I am the called of God. How do I know that? Because we're born again. 
How do you know you're born again? Because I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior according to the Scriptures. I've confessed my sins to God, accepted God's only way of salvation, His Son Jesus, His blood sacrifice for me, His life for me, received Him into my heart. Therefore, according to the Word of God, I am born again. I don't need acute feeling. I don't need to feel any fire, any heat, any cold. I don't need any sense manifestation to tell me. I know because the word of God says it. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to what? To become the sons of God. So that's all I need is the word to tell me. The word tells me that is my identity. I know what the Bible says, therefore I have exactly what it says. Oh, I don't feel like a Christian. That has nothing to do with it. Your feeling, your emotion has nothing to do with the truth. There are birds flying in the sky right now. Your belief that they're flying has nothing to do with their flight pattern. They will still be flying. If you put blinders over your eyes and say, I don't want to see any birds for the rest of my life. Fine. Do you think that will stop them from flying? It's ridiculous. So we come back to the foundation. Jesus is our example. What did he do? What did Jesus do? He said, if you would humble yourself, as he did, submit to God, as he did, he would lift you up. So we bend down as it's seen in this example, to be lifted up. As we've said over and over, the world says you have to go up, tear everybody else down to go up to get high. Common sense, so-called, logic of this mindset of this world is you, you have to climb up, put your foot on others' heads, whatever you need to do, drag down the neighbor, whatever you've got to, to climb up. God says, humble yourself. <clears throat> Bow down, submit. James 4.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. I quote it all the time. There's your scriptural reference. Humble yourself. Pull down that idle castle of self. Pull down that idle castle of self. Pull down that, you know what the effigy is? The effigy is an image. Pull that thing down. Topple it. The world says, oh, you. You are the center. You are the source. You are the, the, the great whatever. Pumping up the flesh. He, the world says your problem is you haven't released your true self. Ultimately what they're saying is that man is God. That's humanism. So everything that they say, everything that the agenda of the flesh dictates is to try to exalt humanity. And exclude God. That is every effort of every demonic force telling you the opposite of the word of God. It is trying to get you to exalt yourself. Why? Because Lucifer said to Eve in the garden, Satan said to her, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. He was saying, you'll be like me. Not Jehovah. Not, not the God of heaven and earth. The God of this world. He was telling her to her face, if you eat this, you will be like us. And she fell for it. And Adam fell for it. And they did it. So they have never left that game plan. They will never leave 
Satan will never leave that game plan. That is always his game plan. To get man into a deceived state to exalt himself. To make him think he can be as God. Lie, lie, lie. When Jesus Christ has given us a clear invitation, if you will open your heart to myself and the Father, we will come into you and sup with you. You will have the life of God. You will be like God. How? By being in the family of God, placed there by the blood of his Son. How glorious is that? Having all sufficiency in Christ. But they're telling you, break the word of God, do the opposite of what God says, and then you'll be like God. How could you possibly be that stupid, devil? How could you be that idiotic to think that you can go against God and be like him? Yet he does. And yet he convinces thousands, no, millions, to follow that ridiculous logic. How can you say that there is a God and you do the exact opposite of what he says and you think you're going to come out on top? Come on. Even a child, a kindergartner could get this. A toddler could get this. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Bring yourself down. There is a time that he has prescribed for you to go up. There is a time that he has prescribed for you to be lifted up. Are you understanding? Amen. He has already prescribed it. It works in conjunction with your release of your own notion and idea of self. And you're pursuing after God's pleasure. Then he raises you up in that pleasure which he has given to you because you saw him first. Psalm 146 and 8, the psalmist says, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. So even David, an Old Testament character, recognized that it's God who makes you see what you cannot see. So I pray all the time, Lord, reveal every secret and hidden thing. Show me what I cannot see, even about myself. If you say, oh, I'm a humble person, I feel like I'm not very proud, I would not take my own testimony. I would rather seek the Lord. Father, reveal in me. Is there, is there any pockets of self-exaltation in me where I am still trying to promote my agenda while pretending to be humble? Open my eyes, oh God. If I am blind in any area, of operation. Your first prayer of intercession should be about yourself before you lay on the floor calling on God for everyone else, which you should do. But it should start with introspection. It should start with looking inside. Am I okay? Am I proceeding the way you want me to, Daddy? Why? Because that is a part of your fellowship, a part of your relationship. So now by the time I get to the, quote, church house, or the church setting, it is, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, it is no different than we talk about a bridegroom and a bride uh, being prepared for marriage. We understand it, for some reason we understand it, that you would not expect a young man to say, I want to get married. And you ask him, well, do you have a job? No. 
Oh, really? You, but you want to get Yes, I want to get married. Do you have any, any provision, any way of taking care of your family? No. Hmm. You ask the young lady. She said, oh, I want to get married. Really? Are you ready? What does that mean? <laughs> that means you just answered my question. <laughs> You're not ready. What does it mean? Do you, are you ready to submit yourself in a covenant relationship with a man as he serves God? Are you ready for that? Oh, no, I'm too independent for that. I want to do my own. Well, then you're not ready for marriage. So you either change the, the framework of the marriage that says, I want to do whatever I want to do. Now, I could get into some trouble. I'll take that chance. Because only people who are trying to listen for something to attack would attack what I just said. Oh, he's saying that if you get married, you can't have a career. You can't have an education. You can't have a No, I'm not saying that, devil. Lie, lie, lie. What I'm saying is that there are relationship responsibilities that come into play once you make that covenant decision. That if you're not ready to submit to another person, you're not ready for marriage. If you're not ready to assume the biblical roles of headship responsibility, man, to be the head of your household, to lead them unto God, you're not ready for marriage. If you still think Sally is as cute as Sarah, is as cute as Jessica, is as cute as Mary, you're not ready for marriage. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If you're not ready to throw all others away and focus on one, you're not ready for marriage. If you're saying, I don't want to be in a relationship with the man who's following God. I want to be in a relationship with the exciting man who rides motorcycles with a big scar on his face and chews tobacco and spits in the wind. Well, if that's what you want to chase, you will have to chase it outside of God's house. Because that kind of person is not going before God, falling on their knees again, again, open for attack. Are there, there I know of Christian motorcyclists. I know of Christian so-called, they're not gangs, but they're groups of men who ride Harley Davidsons. They're all tatted up with, with leather vests, having Bible studies. All right, so, so, don't, so don't twist it up, devil, and try to say what I'm not saying. But a man whose heart is not after God, whether he has tattoos or not, chews tobacco or not, I'm giving an example, throwing out an extreme for you to get hold of. And a student would understand what I'm saying. So any person, any man who's not following Christ, that is not the kind of man you want to have a covenant relationship with and think you're going to please God. I've heard silly women say, oh, I'll marry him anyway and, and God will save him later. You have just bought yourself a trouble ticket. Hello. Mm -hmm. So all these things flow together. We're talking about walking in this place with God together. Submitted. Bow to him, understanding relationship, understanding how I fit it into the body of Christ, understanding how I am in now, walking with Christ, carrying the cross of Christ from within the body, denying myself, all of these things. This is why teaching is so important. You need foundation after foundation laid, layers upon that foundation. You need teaching laid. You need wall after wall. All these things must be built Built together so the house, the structure is strong. Mm -hmm. which, is, which is why if you try to teach a message like this in a few minutes or a few hours, you can never get it all in. Why? Because there's so many other pieces that you can only assume or hope that the hearer has had somewhere in their 
spiritual development to build upon. Many times you're preaching or teaching a message, you think if I just lay that there, this can fit easily into your structure. And what you found out, they don't even have the, thank you Lord, they don't have the wall that you're trying to put the eave of the roof on. And while you're trying to construct the, the roof of teaching over here, they're sitting there with a foundation and no walls. <laughs> and looking at, well, why are you trying to put a roof here? So you have to, okay, let's go back. Let's now build a wall. Okay, we have one wall. Now let's put the roof on. No, you cannot put the roof on with one wall. <laughs> Even if the, if the structure was, were a box, you still need all four walls to be there before the roof can be put on top. So when you're trying to establish a method of teaching, you, you have to go all the way back to foundation level. Dig down in the ground, pour that foundation, build that framework, and then begin to come up with the insulation and then the flooring. And then on top of that, whatever, whatever you're going to lay, tiles, whatever. You understand? So you, you're trying to build. And every time you say this, oh, well, let me go back and see if it's actually connected to something. Doctrine should be connected to doctrine. Doctrine should be connected to doctrine. And all the way through scripture. So you need that kind of base. Connection, connection, wall, wall. Okay, now roof. Now let's go on to next, lay the next foundation over here and start the addition to that building. You see? As if you were building a compound or a series of buildings or, or, or a, uh, I won't say a castle, but uh, more like a mansion where there are going to be several buildings connected together or several rooms. So layer by layer by layer, you're putting all this together. That is you being built up in Christ. Man, so this is why the preaching is so deep and so hard. The ultimate self-denial is self-sacrifice. We already introduced this talking about Jesus being our example. When we see this, the ultimate self-denial is self-sacrifice. What do you see on that image right there? What, as you're looking at that screen, what appears before you? Look at it. Look at it. That's what comes into view. That's what comes into view. If you keep looking at God, you will see Jesus. If you see him truly, you will see that he sacrificed everything for us. So if I'm truly going to come into this self-denial understanding, I will end up where he is now, showing me himself. You have to be broken and yielded to God, yielded to the purpose of God. If you're ever to live out the fullness of your calling, that's where you have to get, beloved. You have to get there. You have to get to the point where you have released yourself from yourself and have submitted to the will of God. So Jesus, our example in all things, brings us in. Luke 22, 42. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, 
Not my will, but thine be done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your example. Thank you for showing us what has to happen in order for you to please God. You have to go all the way. You cannot stop part way. You must go all the way with God to see the end of your day. To see the fullness of the cross of Christ every single day. Take up the cross. Take up the cross, I'm telling you. Deny yourself. Throw off the load of self-engrandizement. Throw it off. Pursue after him. Chase after him. Run after his will. Run after his glory. Run after his name. Then, then you'll be ready to look him in the face on that day. Amen.